Well, um, as I was uh, preparing for today, it was all going really, really well um, until about 11 o'clock last night. And I'd spent a good day and a half. I'd had extra time to prepare. I was really excited about all the time I had. And I got to about 11 o'clock last night and I was like, this is not working. <laughs> this is just not coming together. What am I going to do? And I got on my knees. I was like, God, you've got to help me. There's less than 12 hours to go. <laughs> and I've got nothing here that I can use. Help me. So I prayed. That was a good thing to do, wouldn't it? And Caroline got home and she said, just go to bed and work on it in the morning. I was like, oh, yeah, that was a good, th- that's a good idea. So I had a little few thoughts. And I felt God speak to me about speaking on prayer. I felt like he should said, I need to prepare us to pray. And so um, I went to bed and then I had a dream. And in the dream, I was um, uh, um, defending or with a group of people defending a certain area from an enemy onslaught. The enemy were coming and I could see where they were laying down weapons preparing to come over this through this gap. There was one area that we had to defend. And in the in the dream I was rallying people saying they're coming, we've got to protect this area, we've got to get there, we've got to station people up there. I was rallying the troops to defend this area where they were going to come through. And uh, as I was doing that, and it was really stressful, getting everything ready, getting everything prepared. As I was doing that, someone, one of the leaders in King's Arms walked up to me and said, um, there's a traveling comedian who wants to use one of the Jeeps as his tour bus. Is that okay? I won't say who it is because it embarrassed them. Um, it was only a dream. They didn't really do it. Uh, and I, you'll be pleased. In my dream, I didn't swear. I didn't swear at them in the dream, which what probably if I was in the real situation, I would have done. But I didn't swear at them. I just said, no, you, we need every available weapon. We need everything we've got to protect this area. This is what we've got to do. And then as I was even saying that, the enemy started to come over the top and I had to pick up my gun, grabbed a gun off someone and started shooting. And that was, that was a dream and I woke up. And there we go. <laughs> and to me, it was fairly evident There is a war going on. There is a battle going on, and God is calling his church to stand in the gap. We are being called as a people, and as Phil alluded to, there is a prayer movement rising across the world because God is calling his people. There is an enemy on the move who wants to kill and steal and destroy. He is on the move, and God is calling his people. Will you stand? Will you fight? There's a war going on and we can be so oblivious to the war around us and yet God is calling his people to stand and to fight because there is an enemy who wants to come and destroy. And it's not that it's all just defensive because actually Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. And in my, my understanding, gates don't move. So that's the church on attack. So it's both, isn't it? It's a defense and it's an attack, but there is a war and God is calling us not to be a believer and not to be distracted because it's so easy, as we saw in the dream, for us to take things that the, 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 an essential piece of kit, defensive kit, and just use them on stuff that's just trivial. And, God, and, I, and it was interesting in the dream, I won't say who it was, but it was a prophetic leader in our church who said this. And I feel like it's a particular call to those who are called as prophets who've got a prophetic gift. Are you, are you distracted? Have you got distracted by the other things of life? Or are you responding to the call of God to raise the church to pray in this hour? Because there is a war, there is a battle going on. So I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk about why it's critical that we, as God's people, understand the war. The times not get distracted 
but give ourselves to focus and to play our part. I want King's Arms to stand in our gap. There are lots of others standing in their gaps, defending their places, advancing in their places, but will we as a community stand? Will we stand and call and do what God has called us to do in our day? A couple of famous prayers that we could look at. I want to start looking at uh, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a, a guy who was in exile. His whole people were in exile, actually. Uh, what the Babylonians did in those days was when they invaded a nation, they would take a group of people, usually the leaders, the most educated, and they would strip them out of the nation that they just overrun and move them to, uh, back to Babylon. And they would move other people into that nation. It just kept everything, because the people were disorientated. It just kept it all under control. It stopped revolts occurring all over the place. And so that's what happened to Nehemiah. He was second generation, so it was probably his parents who were moved. He was probably born into captivity. And actually, he had established some favor. He says he was cupbearer to the king. So he was actually in the king's courts. He was actually in an incredible place of luxury. He was in a place where he really didn't have many physical needs, and he was appreciating the benefits, if you could, of exile. And that's where we find him. And this is what it says of his story. While I was in the citadel of Susa, that's the capital of Babylon, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. So they've come all the way from the, the, their original homeland. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, O oh Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obeys his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you this day. Day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you've given your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people who you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. And so this, there's so many great prayers in the Bible, but this one is just phenomenal. It's just a, an amazing prayer that gives us a kind of outline of how to come before the Lord as we prepare ourselves to pray. You know, there's, there's, a, there's things that we need to think about. And the first thing is this. Nehemiah starts with focusing on who is God. Then I said, O Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Notice Nehemiah reminds himself that God is great and that he keeps his promises. He starts with this focus. And as we start our time of prayer together, we've got to start with our focus on God. We've got to fix our eyes on God, remind ourselves who this is that we are praying to. And Jesus does exactly the same. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open for everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you? 
you. If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Again, Jesus does exactly the same thing. He says, when you pray, remind yourself of who you're coming to. Remind yourself. As you, if you want to be part of this army, if you want to mobilize yourself, if you want to play your part, what else would you give your life to? If you want to play your part, you start in this place. Remind yourself with who you're praying to. Remind yourself with God. Paul, one of the apostles, does exactly the same thing in his great prayer in Ephesians 3. He says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to his power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. He reminds himself, he fixes the church's eyes on, this is who you're coming to. This is the God. And he uses superlatives. You know, we have superlatives in the English language, don't we? Amazing. And, then, and sometimes we run out of words and we say, it's totally amazing when we kind of become over, overwhelmed with how good something is. Like, uh, years ago, my, my, I was chatting to my kids and, and they said, that was totally sick. And I was like, what? No, it was sick, Dad. It was sick. I was like, vomit? What? I don't even know. I have no, I don't understand. I understand the words, but I don't understand what you mean. Sick, it, sick means awesome. It means amazing. It's like, so I was like, okay, it's interesting. Sick. Okay, so I started to say sick. Actually, I was talking to some teenagers recently, and I said, you know, do you still say sick? And they said, you can, but you can't. <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean? You can, but I can't. They were like, well... This, have you ever heard of trying too hard? <laughs> I was like, what you're saying is I'm not cool enough to be cool. Is that what you're saying? They're like, yeah, that's basically it. That's basically it. But we get that, don't we? We, we run out of words and we use superlatives and then we stack them up to, to just express how good things can be. And that's exactly what Paul does here. He says, we come to the God who is, does far more abundantly. And, and you can't even translate that in the English. It's like, it, it's like it's the Greek, what that, the way they would say these super superlatives, it's like far more abundant. It's totally amazing. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, expand your vision of who God is. He's far more abundant than you can ask or think. He's far bigger than that. Think of that and then add some to it because that's the God that you are coming to. As we prepare ourselves to pray, we've got to fill our minds with the bigness of who he is. I, I, a number of years ago, I was really, really ill with this unknown illness and, and never really properly diagnosed, very, very sick. And in the midst of it, I had this dream. And in the dream, I was in the shower, holding the shower head. No water was coming out. So I screwed the back of the shower head and it was filled with my daughter's hair. Guys, you're living in it. No, anyway, <laughs> it was filled with my daughter's hair. And so I pulled out my daughter's hair, loads of it from the back of the shower, screwed the head back on and pff, the shower started flying again. And, and I woke up from the dream and I realized God's speaking to me that I'm, I'm focused over here with this problem. I'm ill and I want to get red and I want to get better, but he's actually working over here. He wants to do something. And the shower head clearly to me represented my thinking. He wants to do something in my thinking. In this, see, anyone notice that? You're focused on over here and you're saying, God, fix this. And he's like, well, I'm going to get to that. But actually, I'm kind of, anyone, observe, if you haven't observed that, that's what happens. So <laughs> you're focused over here and he's like, actually, let's sort this out and then we'll come, we'll come back to that. So I realized I'm so focused on this, but God wants to do something in my thinking. And as he does that, his power will be released in a greater way in my life. And as I was wrestling with this and meditating over this passage, that God is far more abundantly, super abundant God, 
I was talking to Caroline and I was saying, I never really worked out the dream because why was it my daughter's hair? I understand it's about the thinking because hair normally goes in the plug hole, not into the shower head. I understand it's about her thinking, but, but why was it not my hair? Why was it Kaya's hair? And she said, well, you do remember that Kaya's name means abundant. I was like, dumb. <laughs> and suddenly all the pieces came together and I realized God is wanting me to think of him in an, through an abundant lens. I need to change my thinking. That this is the solution to seeing his power flow. Isn't that exactly what Paul's saying? Isn't that what Jesus is doing with his disciples? Isn't that what Nehemiah does? He begins in this place of, God, I want to see you as you really are. As we prepare to pray this week, fix your eyes on this greatness of God, of the superabundance of him. And the second thing uh, Nehemiah does is this. He looks at who we are. After he's looked at God, he looks at who we are. And he says this, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees that you've given us. And he goes on and on about who we are. He first starts with who God is, and then he looks at who we are. And this is where we can get into trouble. And through different ways. One is that we just feel like we're not worthy of praying that we're not really worthy to be heard by God. And there can be two sides of that, actually. One is that, you know, we've had a really good week. You know, you've been nice to the dog. You've been friendly to the family. And you actually come to pray and you think, you know what? I think God kind of owes me a bit of an answer. Anyone ever prayed like that? No, just me. No, okay. I think, I think you know, you've been doing pretty good in the old Christian life. And you're like, you know what? I think God owes me a bit of an answer here. I think I'm, I've got pretty confident. And on the flip side, you've had a bad week, you know, you kick the dog twice, you know, you're, you're, you know, it's just all, you know, you, you, it's just all, you've been, to be honest, you know, you've been living awful. And everyone knows it. You're the only one who hasn't admitted it. They've all been talking about it. And you're just, and you come to prayer and you think, I'm just not worthy. And you know what? Both, end, both extremes end in powerless prayers. <laughs> Because both are on the wrong foundation. The foundation is this. And, and the picture that we're given here through Nehemiah, because remember, Nehemiah is just a picture of the greatest Nehemiah to come. Nehemiah was just a story that will illustrate the true Nehemiah. Who was who? Jesus. He is the one who had a place of favour. He is the one who came down from that place and connected with his people who stood in the gap. He is the one. And it's because of him that we come to God. It's because of that foundation, not because we've had a good week or a bad week or been good or been bad. It's because of what Christ has done. He is the one who intercedes for us, the Bible says. Brother Lawrence, a famous 17th century monk who wrote um, the Practicing the Presence of, of God, what was written about him. He was asked, how do you approach God? I mean, he was so known for just his prayerfulness. And they, they, they said that people would even come and watch him peel potatoes because the presence of God was so thick around him. They would just get their lives transformed just watching the guy peel potatoes. I mean, it happens while I peel potatoes as well, but uh, that's why I don't do it often. Um, and this is what he said. He said, what I do is this. When I've done well, I address myself to God and I said, Lord, I couldn't have done this unless you'd enabled me to do it. He said, but when I've failed, I bring my fault to God and said, God, if you leave me to myself, I'll never do anything right. <laughs> do you get it? <laughs> he just avoids both extremes and he comes back to the ground of grace. God, it's all about you. Many of you will have heard the story years ago of a guy who came to Alpha 
and uh, he he just wasn't sure he was fitting in. He wasn't sure he had the what it took to live this Christian life. He didn't feel like he was like other people around him, and he was getting pretty discouraged. And then one evening, there was the prophetic night, which is one of the best nights of our. And one of the prophetic guys came. And he was about to bring a word, and the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to speak to that guy, and I want you to say to him, all right, mate. And he was like, Lord, you've got to give me more than that. That's just not, that's just not a prophetic word. That's an embarrassment. <laughs> you've got to give me some more information. I can't just say, God says to you, all right, mate. What's he going to think? And the Lord said, don't say anything more than all right, mate. He was like, oh, gosh, it's awkward. Anyway, so he does it. He stands up and says, just points to the guy and says, the Lord's speaking to you, and he says, all right, mate. And it was all a bit awkward in the room, and he just kind of sat down, thought, what was that about? Anyway, at the end of the meeting, the guy comes up to me and said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. I was praying this week. I was saying, God, I don't even know how to pray. Can, can I just, do I have to use all those fancy words, or can I just talk to you like one of my mates? <laughs> Two days later, all right, mate. <laughs> you see, we, we get caught up with this sense of unworthiness, but God will meet you where you are. Some, some of you have been praying this week and you'll be praying next to people who'll be, you know, they'll be quoting for the King James backwards and forwards. You'll be thinking, all I can say is all right, mate. God hears your prayers. It's not about your education or your background or how many Bible verses you can quote. He hears your heart. Some, sometimes it's because we, we don't care enough to pray. This is what it says about Nehemiah. He's in this kind of really fairly luxurious position. But when I heard about these things, he says, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In the midst of this life of luxury, Nehemiah is not satisfied. Because his people are broken. His people are broken and he cannot stand to live in luxury while his people are in a state. I was talking some years ago to a guy in South Africa, a young guy, a young black guy, Franz his name was, and he'd uh, been born into apartheid, and it had just ended um, some years earlier, but most of his life he'd, he'd lived in apartheid, and that's all he'd known. And uh, we were just chatting about it, chatting about his experience. He'd actually come out of a fairly poor background and now been kind of semi-adopted by this family, and he was now running Alpha in his local church, giving his life to Christ. So his life was, his prospects were looking great. And uh, I was just chatting about the whole thing about apartheid, and he said, you know what, there was some good that came out of apartheid. I was like, Really? What was it? He said, well, it was Ubuntu. I said, well, what's Ubuntu? He said, well, Ubuntu means I am what I am because of who we all are. I am what I am because of who we all are. He said, we were so under pressure, we were so oppressed, we were so poor that in many places in South Africa, it created an incredible sense of community amongst us as black communities. He said, hospitality just went off the charts. If you needed something, people would give it to you. We gave what out of our need we gave to each other because we had nothing else. There was no support. There was nothing else. We all we had was each other. And people began to recognize something different is happening, and they called it Ubuntu. I am what I am because of who we all are. Don't you think Nehemiah had Ubuntu spirit? <laughs> he was not content to live with his prosperity while his brothers and sisters suffer. And I want us to go into this prayer time with the Ubuntu spirit. Because we can worship freely, we can gather freely, we can spend our money, many of us, in, in ways that we want to. And yet there are brothers and sisters across the world who need us to pray for them this week. There are brothers and sisters across the world who, if they went to their prayer meeting at their local church on Tuesday night, would get arrested and possibly killed for the privilege. We need to pray for them. 
We need to stand together with that Ubuntu spirit. God is calling us to live in that place. And the last thing that can hold us back as we look at ourselves is we just get too discouraged to pray. And there's a constant appeal right the way through scriptures. You see it again and again, calling God's people, don't get discouraged when you come to pray. James 5 says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain and for three years and six months it didn't rain. He prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. What's James doing? He's saying, look, don't get discouraged. Look at what God has done. Look back at what God has done and look who he's done it through. Elijah's just like, look, you're like, no, he's not. Yes, he is. He had the same spirit. He prayed with the same spirit. And he's saying, look back at what God has done. And I want us, as we prepare these few days before we pray, I want us to tend to spend time looking back. Look back at what God has done and how he has answered prayers. I remember when we, as a church, were crying out, God, give us five guests on Alpha. Give us five guests that would come to Alpha who want to know about Jesus. I talked to Steve a couple of weeks ago. How many guests have we got on Alpha? About 30, he said. 30. And we were just like, okay, oh, great. As if like it happened. It was like, we, we, I remember crying out for five. I remember praying, God, give us a church in the Middle East. The whole nations where there was not one recognized church, not even a believer who could be named. We're like, God, give us churches in the Middle East. And we planted three in the last couple of years and we got another five or six. I'm starting to lose count with the number of places that we're planting churches in the Middle East. Remember what God has done and where he's brought us from. I remember us praying, God had spoken to us that we'd have a voice in the nation. I remember praying, God, give us a voice into this nation. We want to be part of the solution. And it's it barely a month goes past or two months goes past that someone's saying, oh, I had an interview in t- on TV. I was doing a, a, a government panel for this, that, and the other. Just God has given us across as a community influence in our nation. And, and Pete Gregg was here recently, and uh, as we were chatting and he was speaking, he was saying, listen, he said, he was telling us stories of answer prayers, and he's saying, look, is it, is it everything we prayed for? No, but you better believe it's something. And I loved it because he said it again and again and again. Is it everything? No, but you better believe it's something. God is on the move. He's on the move in our workplaces. I was chatting a year or so ago with a midwife of mine who'd been praying for a friend of mine who's, not my midwife, a friend of mine who's a midwife. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I don't, anyway, I don't, unless there's a whole rabbit trail there, which I'm not going to go down. Um, she's a midwife friend, and she's been praying for influence in her workplace. And I was just reading again her story of when she was, went in one day, and, the, and she was praying, God, be with me today. Be with us today as we deliver these babies and the doctor, there was a, a, a woman who was in a bit of a precarious situation and they, they had option A or option B. And to be honest, option A was the default. That's kind of what you did in that circumstance. But then the doctor said, I'm, I've got this feeling we should go for option B. And she said, as he said it, the Holy Spirit just, she just felt a rush of the Holy Spirit. And she's like, yes, that's what we should do. So they went for option B. The baby was safely delivered. They found out later that had they gone for option A, it would have been really dangerous for the mother and the baby. I just love that. God is on the move. Is it everything we've been praying for? No. But you better believe it's something. You better believe it's something. As we come to him, we come knowing that it's not about us. We focus on us in the sense that we recognize it's what Christ has done. And we pray the prayer of faith. That's what James says. You know, imagine you've, you've got a lamp and you switch it on and it doesn't work. What do you do? Do you? 
after you grab the switch in your hand and you bang it against your head, I'll never use a lamp again. Or do you, do you look at the light bulb? <laughs> you go for the light bulb, don't you? And if you change the light bulb and it still doesn't work, do you grab that lamp and smash it against the wall? That's it, I'm done with lighting. I'm going back to torches. Or do you check the fuse? <laughs> and if the fuse is fine, do you call up the electricity board and say, that's it, I'm finished with you electricity guys. <laughs> Gas is far better anyway. I did that actually recently with Siri. Siri had let me down again. And I said to Siri, hey Siri, why are you so useless? <laughs> and, he, and he said, <laughs> he said, I'm working to improve. <laughs> I'm not perfect yet, but I'm Anyway, do you phone the electricity board and say, why are you so useless? My no, 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 you don't. You call an electrician. Why? Because you've got faith. You've got a trust in electricity. You've seen it work before. You know it works. You know people around you that it works for just because you're like... But so often as Christians, we pray one time, there's no answer. We're like, Rasa, I'm done with the whole prayer thing. I'm done. Others can go and pray. I'm done with the whole prayer thing. We throw the baby out with the bath rather than saying, Father, I know that you answer prayer. Your word says you answer prayer. There's something wrong in this. I don't, I don't know. There's a delay. There's something else going on. But fundamentally, you've called me to pray. <laughs> I'm not smashing my lamp on the floor and calling the electricity board. I trust that it's going to work. There's, something, there's a problem somewhere, but I'm not going to let that distract me. I'm called to pray and to believe God. And he promises to answer. And then, so Nehemiah looks at who God is. He looks at who we are, and then he looks at what God has said. This is what he says. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, and even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. God, Nehemiah reminds God of what he said. He reminds him of what he has said. You know, my kids, when they were younger, to be honest, they still do it. They'll say, can, I, can we watch another movie before bed? And I'll say, no, no, it's nearly, it's nearly bedtime. And then they use the words which are, fill my heart with dread. Dad, you said. <laughs> oh, and I can feel Caroline's eyes boring into the back of the he my head like red hot lasers. Dad, you said, is the powerful, most powerful combination of words. Dad, you said, Dad, you said. Any fathers here recognize those words? They just like skewered you to the sofa and your wife's looking at you. PK, do you recognize this? And your wife's looking at you like, it was a moment of weakness. It was a moment of weakness, but it's too late. You said, Dad, why? Why are they so powerful? Because I'm committed to my word. Because I want to be the kind of father who follows through on my words and then I'm skewered and then between what ought to happen, which is bedtime, and what I said. So much more is our heavenly father committed to his word. He's committed to his word. And he wants us to bring it back to him. The apostle John writes this, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I used to get frustrated. It's like, we don't know what your will is. Of course we do. So much of it is written down in Scripture for us. You want to experience God's love? You're like, I don't know God's love. I can't feel his love. Romans 5 says, God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. For years, I couldn't feel the love of God. I just would pray that verse over again. 
God, it says you have poured your spirit into us. By your spirit, you have poured your spirit into our hearts and you have poured your love through that spirit. That should be my reality. <laughs> I just prayed until the two meet up. My, I'm not going to lower God's word to my experience. I'm going to pray until my experience reaches up to his word. Need protection? Psalm 7, my shield is God most high. Need provision? Psalm 111, he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. You need wisdom? James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generally, generously. You need strength? Psalm 84, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God. You need to hear his voice? John 10, my sheep hear, his, hear my voice. You need freedom from sin? Romans 6, sin shall not be your master because you're not under law but under grace. No, you're not under grace but under law. No, that was right the first time, wasn't it? Yeah, thank you. Just checking, just testing, make sure you're still awake. <laughs> Do you get it? It's all there. That's why we've got to plumb the depths of the scriptures this week and bring the promises back to God. You're battling with an addiction to sin. Sin will not be my master. I'm going to be free from this. What does it look like for you to take God's word to him and offer it back to him in prayer and say, Dad, you said. Dad, you said. And even when God's will isn't clear, where you're in a situation where you, you say, well, you know, I've got a job offer at Tesco's and one at Sainsbury's. God doesn't say anything about that in the Bible. Isaiah 30, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. So even when his will isn't clear, You've got a promise that his will will be made clear. Dad, you said, I love this building to be filled with words that cry out to God from his word this week. Dad, you said, what's burning in your heart? Where have you got discouraged? Where have you got disappointed? Where you need to bring his words back to him. Where, what prophetic words, not words from the Bible, but words that God's spoken directly to you, do you have? You know, for, for we, we as a, a group of churches, a catalyst, were praying and we felt the Lord speak to us, we need to um, reinitialize church planting in the UK. So we began praying, God, we want to plant more churches again in the UK. We've been planting lots overseas, but what about the UK? And then there was another prophetic word that says, you need to focus on the north. So we chatted to the team who were leading in the north, and they said, where do you want to plant? And they said, well, the, the next place that's on our heart is Wakefield. I've never even prayed for Wakefield before, but when we're praying for Wakefield, because God has said, Dad, you said Wakefield is where we should plant. So we, we spoke, we spoke uh, at, a, at an event and said, we're feeling God leading us to plant in Wakefield. There's 200,000 people, hardly any churches. We need a leader in the same meeting. The first time we announced it, there's a guy at the back weeping, breaking down in tears, saying, my wife and I have been praying for Wakefield. We felt like God was calling us to plant a church that we didn't know who we would do it with. First time he'd ever come to one of our events. He's now planting a church with his wife in Wakefield. Dad, you said, grab hold of him by his word. And then finally, after Nehemiah's looked at who God is and who we are and what his word says, finally he gets to, and this is what I want. <laughs> It's the last little bit of the prayer. I don't know about you, but so often I start with, this is what I want, and I miss all the other bits out. What would it look like this week if we were to focus on, firstly, God, who you are. Secondly, God, this is who we are in you. And finally, this is what you have said to us. And this story of Nehemiah, as I said, points to the real Nehemiah, the true Nehemiah, Jesus, who left the right hand of the Father, the place of luxury, and came down to restore his people, 
and came down to stand with us to see the city restored, to see something built that had never been seen before. You know, my wife, um, uh, Caroline, was uh, talking with uh, one of my, my daughter when she was younger, when she was three, and uh, my kids get money whenever I give them, uh, use their stories and illustrations, so Kai's done well today. Um, <laughs> I think it's a pound per story was the latest uh, offering. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so, um, so Kai was about three, and Caroline said to her, I, I need to find my face lotion. I've lost it. Let's ask God to help. And Kai said, God won't help you that, Mum. He's far too busy helping other children. Caroline said, that's a wonderful thing about God. He's able to answer prayers from lots of people at the same time. And Kai said, wow. I did not realize that about God. <laughs> I love that little story. I pray this week that all of us, kids and adults alike, will come out of a few days of prayer and say, wow, I didn't realize that about God. I did not realize that about God. He is the super abundant God. He is far more abundant than I even could believe, that even I could ask or think. I didn't even realize that about God. Let's give ourselves, guys, this week, whether you can come to the meetings or whether it's in your home, whether you gather other people to pray with you, let's give ourselves to seek our Lord. Let's give ourselves to stand in the gap. Let's refuse distractions. Let's give ourselves to play our part, as lots of other churches are doing, to play our part, to stand in the gap. There's a war going on, and he's called us to pray, to, to, to amass every weapon we have in our hands, to fight the one who would come, and to advance his kingdom and see his kingdom come. Amen. I want to stand for a moment and pray. Uh, what I'd love us to do is, is to pray about prayer. You know, uh, Terry Virgo, one of the leaders of New Frontiers, family of churches that we're part of, he was asked once, what do you pray most about? He said, I pray most that the church would pray. Because if I can get the church praying, then they'll pray for the things that need to be prayed for. So why don't we just give ourselves for a couple of minutes, just lift our voices and pray that our church will pray. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for prayer. Let's pray for a prayer movement that's happening across the world to kick off into a new gear in our church. We just lift our voices together. Let's ask the Lord for it, shall we? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you that you're mobilizing your army in this great spiritual battle, that the enemy does not stand a chance as your people stand together with an Ubuntu spirit and pray, and pray and call on you to move in our nation and in the nations of the world. We pray that there will be great fruit 
from this week. We pray that there will be people who pray who've never really known how to pray before. We pray, God, for a mobilization of your church. And we pray for churches to be planted and, and healing to come and families to be restored and salvation to break out. And we pray, God, that you would do unprecedented things because you are the superabundant God. You are able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. We thank you, Father.